Welcome to the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast, presented to you by Hetra University. If you've landed here, you're probably passionate about how horses help people. This podcast is for anyone who helps others experience the benefits of horses or those who have experienced it themselves. If you're in the equine assisted services industry, we're here to help you. If you're here just to learn more, you're in the right place. Welcome to your community of like-minded people where you will hear stories, education, science, and explanations about how what we do is so much more than just a pony ride. And now, from the Hetra campus in Gretna, Nebraska, here's your host, occupational therapist and CTRI, Katie Ott. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am so excited about the next two episodes of the podcast. Yes, that's right, another two-part series. I have Dr. Darren Olson with us for two whole episodes to talk about strategies we can use for our participants on the autism spectrum. So Dr. Olson is a clinical psychologist and he specializes in working with those who have autism and their caregivers. So today I'm gonna pick his brain specifically about communication and all of the different tips and tricks that will help us be the most effective in helping those with autism be successful with their equine partners. If you aren't a member of the Not Just a Pony Ride Facebook group, head over there now because I'm gonna be sharing some examples of visual schedules and some different tools that we use here at Hetra to help get your wheels turning for some creative solutions at your own centers. So enough of my talking, we wanna hear Darren. Here he is. Welcome to the show, Darren. Thank you, happy to be here. Well, let's get started with telling the folks at home why you are on this podcast, who you are, and your background just a little bit. Sure. So I'm Darren Olson. I'm a clinical psychologist. I work at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. And I work primarily and almost exclusively with kids with autism. So I do both evaluations for kids that we don't know if they have autism yet. It's about half of what I do. And then the other half of what I do is therapy, a lot of like parent training, helping parents out if uh, to kind of manage their child's behaviors and things like that, if there's any behavior difficulties. Um, so that's what I do. How I got here, if, if you want sort of my little history, I, I got into this field uh, when I... I started on my path when I was in high school, so I, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist in high school, and an opportunity came up for me to uh, do some respite care with a kid who had had a traumatic brain injury, and I worked with him uh, in high school for for years, and then after high school, and then eventually I realized I could do I, I could do both. I could be a psychologist who specializes in this area of children with special needs. And so that's what sort of put me on this path to working with this population. So I want to today, my goal is just to give our listeners at home some good tools, um, things they can use in their their sessions with those who have autism. So I think our our audience is a little bit twofold. It's in some of us are instructors that are listening, which means we're not therapists, we're not treating clinical symptoms, but we're treating we're we're teaching them how to ride. Um, however, our participants that are in those sessions are still coming to us with disabilities. One of those being um, autism, being on the autism spectrum. 
Um, and some of us are therapists that are listening, um, so are doing some clinical work. Um, and there's also just some some uh, families and other, you know, kind of lay people as well that are listening. So kind of a broad audience, but I want to talk specifically, I think, to our instructors today um, that wouldn't necessarily be treating treating clinically, but need to be able to have some good tools to work with our participants the best we can. And one of those things that I think is sometimes a barrier is the whole is the concept of communication. So we know that those on the autism spectrum are, are to communicate differently and receive communication differently. So do you want to talk just a little bit about kind of the, the basics and generalities of that? Sure, sure. Uh, so there's a lot of different directions that this could go because there, there's communication. There's one-way communication, what, what the instructors are saying to the kids. There's the communication back, the, uh, what the kids are saying. And then there's also the back and forth. So um, I guess I'll start with communication from the kid, from the child, um, or or I'm a child psychologist, so I so I constantly am saying kid, but um, the the individual with uh, developmental differences. So, so there's uh, really four functions that we call them, like four reasons why a person might do a behavior. And so oftentimes the best place to start is to try to figure out what the person is trying to communicate. Uh, and I'll go through the four functions. This is like a crash course in some of these behavior interventions. But um, what a person might be trying to communicate is that they want something, something the, I get what they want kind of behavior. There, there's some there's something that they're trying to get to and they're using whatever means they have to get to that thing. Um, and so really broadly, a goal is would be to once you know that there's something that they're wanting to get, finding a more appropriate way for them to get to it. That would be the most, again, this is a very broad statement, but that's kind of the direction that you'd mm -hmm. like to go. We know what they want. How can we get them there? Mm -hmm. And how can they do something more appropriately in order to get what they want? Another, another way the behavior is a communication, it might be to escape or get out of something. So, is it we all do it I, I love to tell parents like we're doing this stuff too right we're, we're trying to escape from stuff we're avoiding things we're procrastinating like this isn't just a kid this isn't just a special needs thing um but that's another reason why someone might do something is like they're trying to get out of something that they don't want to do um so very broadly some of the things that we can try is like maybe we can the ask or the task that we're having them do? Can we make it a little bit smaller? Can we make that thing easier so they're not trying to get away from it as bad? Can we help them sort of get through it? Um, it's best if we don't let those kind of escape behaviors work 100%. Like, I don't want to do this thing. I mean, it, and, and the reason I say that as a kid is, you know, thinking about like homework or something like that. If a kid's like, I don't want to do homework, like, okay, well, you don't have to do it. Well, next mm -hmm. time they're asked to do homework, they're probably not going to like, oh, no, you know, last time I didn't have to do this. So we do want some element of like, you got to get through some hard stuff, but maybe we can make the thing smaller for them so they can get it. Um, <clears throat> another big communication or way that people are communicating 
is to get attention. Attention is a is a sneaky uh, sort of one where it's not it's not a thing that they want. It's it's a reaction or or just someone paying attention to them. They're they're sometimes a little bit more difficult to see than the other stuff. Um, but when it's attention, if there's any element of attention, have to make sure that we're bringing positive attention for other things. That positive attention for any kind of good behavior is so key. And so we want to give them what they want. They want that attention. Let's give them attention for good behaviors. Let, let's put it in the right place. The negative attention can, all, or you know, negative behaviors and attention associated with that can also satisfy that need as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, attention is attention, whether it be positive or negative. Um, mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. So a negative behavior that gets negative attention worked. It still got attention. Mm -hmm. um, so you're absolutely right to be mindful of that. <clears throat> Another sort of broad category of of communication, what a, what a person is putting out there is a little grayer, but it's sort of a sensory sort of like feeling. Um, we call them automatically rewarding, which is a way too technical sounding thing for like something that a person does that they kind of enjoy. So they keep doing it. Mm -hmm. um, some you know, like some kids will clap their hands or hum, but also like running around in circles or playing on a playground. Like those are also just things that like, I like this. And because I like it, I'm going to continue to do it. Um, so also being mindful of some of those like sensory type of things that, that there's something about it that's satisfying to them. That, and what we want, again, in those kind of situations, if that's what they're trying to communicate, how can we allow that to happen in an appropriate setting? If you want to run, great. Let's get through this and then you can go run. We want you to have those things that are enjoyable for you. Maybe not running around when we're, you know, trying to get some work done, trying to get you on the horse, but like after this is done, absolutely have at it, go, go run. So as an occupational therapist, I try hard to replace if there's something that they're seeking that feels good to them. Can we replace that with something that might feel similar, but is more appropriate for the time too, right? Like. Absolutely. Absolutely. So replace with something that that's similar is much better than trying to stop that kind of behavior. Just simply stopping it and not allowing it to happen usually doesn't work as, you, as you've seen in, in in your line of work. So yes, absolutely trying to find a replacement for it that's more appropriate that's for the setting, 100%. Replace it instead of trying to stop it is the best way to go. So that's communication from, from the person, you mm -hmm. know, putting it out there. This is These are the things that I'm hoping to get. Um, so now I'll sort of transition into like how the, the therapists and instructors and parents and just people in general are communicating. And I'll talk specifically now about kids with autism. So people with autism tend to be, their minds tend to be quite logical beautifully logical like if, if we were all able to step into the mind of someone with autism we'd say wow if only the world worked just like this i mean we would be a well-oiled machine mm -hmm. um because the logic is is really incredible unfortunately people with autism live in uh live in a world that's 
not as logical, not as systematic as they'd like it to be. And there's, you know, therein lies some of the difficulties that they have. Um, so sequences like this is going to happen, and then this will happen, and then this, and then this. Boom. If it could only go that perfectly in that little sequence over and over again, how wonderful would that be? Life gets in the way, stuff happens, and it doesn't fall into that nice sequence. And now there's some kind of behavior problem. So um, it's unfortunate. It, it really is. And so what I, what I try to tell people is a person with autism is living in an illogical world. And so what we try to do is, is there is an element of them needing to sort of cope with that and learn that like life is not as logical as you'd like it to be, but also the world coming toward them and saying, there are some ways that we can communicate with you that will help you feel like this is more logical. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want is sort of that combination of their own dealing with it, so to speak, as well as people understanding, oh, there are things I can do. There are ways I can communicate that are going to make this feel more logical for you. So thinking about it like that, something as simple as first then first then language it sounds too simple to work and yet it can often work uh beautifully so what i mean by first then language is literally saying first we're going to do this the thing that you're going to do then and then the thing that they want first this then that uh and trying to make the communication as short and succinct as possible um, it, it sometimes it can feel like more words more explanation is better when in reality for kids with special needs but kids in general the shorter the more direct the communication is actually the better so first we're going to get on the horse then can you know whatever you know if you have a snack or something that they can hold like first this then this that's going to be more effective than something like all right we need to get on the horse so we can and sort of go through this whole process with lots of words all they're all they're hearing is like yeah, well, this well, is not well, something well. i want to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so communication as um what i like to tell people is the fewest number of words that you can get to that gets the point across, go for it. So if it's literally put this foot in the stirrup and you're pointing as you're doing it, pointing at their foot, pointing at the stirrup, wonderful. That is that is what you want their body to do, that foot to go in the stirrup. Great. Once it's there, then you can give the next command mm -hmm. um, and and continue on like that. But that there's there's a it's a lot more likely that you're gonna get some buy-in that way with that short, succinct actions that you want their body to do, then lots of explanation and lots of extra words, even though as adults, that's what we want to do. That's how adults communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, of course. No, I think that that's something that um, we use a lot is the first then language with words, but also, and I'm sure you'll kind of get into this as well, but Sometimes the best thing to use is not words. Sometimes it's like you said, pointing or gestures or pictures or something else that can help them understand that first then. 
um, and kind of the, the order of things. So we use a first then picture schedule for a lot of our friends at Hetra. And I'll actually, I will share a picture of that on the Not Just a Pony Ride Facebook page. So if you're like, I don't get what that means, I'll share that over there. Um, it's a really simple, easy thing to do. You just take a picture of all the things you want them to do and then show them the pictures of it in a, in a, in a order that makes sense. So um, that's a good thing, a good tool that we use as well. Wonderful. Yeah. So that, so another thing that, that, uh, you mentioned there is visuals, visual. Um, that's another thing that people with, with special needs and especially with autism tend to be much more visual than, than really anything else. They want the information to come through their eyes. And if people can think like that, how do I take this information I'm trying to give and have it come through their eyes as well as through their ears and everything else, the better, like go for that. So a first then visual is great. Literally first and then a little picture of the first thing and then a then and a little picture of what's coming next. Great. That That is, that is the succinct kind of language and it's visual. I do have a question about, um, about joint attention and kind of bringing attention to that because I feel um, sometimes we have friends that are, are busy looking and doing and thinking about all kinds of other things rather than having joint attention with you. Um, do you have any, you know, tips or things about how to obtain that when you're trying to do something like a first then, or, you know, here's what we're going to do and give that direction. Absolutely. So there are four steps with, um, with giving like a, a command. I don't like using the word because it sounds, you know, it doesn't sound nice to say here, my, here are the commands. I'm commanding you to do something. But um, when you're, when you're having, when you're asking the person to do something, um, then there are really, there are literally four steps to getting to ask them or tell them what's coming next. And the first step of, of, of giving a command, quote unquote, uh is to get attention so is to literally have like if, if they're looking off calling their name tapping them but establishing some kind of connection between you and the person before ever giving anything else before saying what's coming next is hugely important um there's a uh, side uh, tangent a little bit, but um, there's a parent training uh, course that I give, and there's a video of that shows what happens when there's a, when a when a parent doesn't like get attention first, and there's like a parent upstairs, and there's two kids like playing on their like Game Boys or whatever, um, and the parents like boys come upstairs, boys boys come up, and the kids are just playing their games as if nothing's happening and i love it because i go oh that, that's what it looks like when i'm calling my kids from another room like there's like yeah right i'm just gonna keep playing my game um but so it's it's really important to try to establish some kind of connection i, I say break the trance because if there's the trance can be a screen or it can be something interesting that they're looking at and they're all in on it and they're like oh that's interesting or it's something that they're thinking about that they're kind of responding to stuff that's that that is going on in their own head that's okay but let's really try to break that get their attention first and so once that piece is done step two is kind of what i mentioned before 
tell them what you want them to do. We what you want their body to be doing. Um, and that that's a little bit that there's a little bit to unpack there. Um, it's best not to really phrase it in a question because you might get an answer you don't want to hear, right? Like it might be, uh, you know, hey, can you go stand over there? And no, I'm happy where I'm standing. Like, oh, actually, it's asking though. Really? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't that wasn't really what I was going for. Um, so uh, it's best to kind of avoid that and just sort of that language I mentioned before of like put your foot here or stand right here. Sort of say, this is what I want your body to do. It's also better to avoid um, stop kind of stuff. Hey, don't do that. Kids are kids are good. Like if, if, you know, I'm thinking about my own children, but, you know, if they're jumping on the couch and I say, hey, don't jump on the couch, and then they go to their knees, and they're like, well, I'm not jumping, but they're still sort of bouncing. So, mm -hmm. Come now. Like, okay. In reality, what I actually want is their feet to be on the floor. So <clears throat> instead of telling a stop, I should say, put your feet on the floor. Then there's no back and forth well dad you didn't actually tell me i needed to you know not be on the couch anymore so um so phrasing it in the positive what you want them to do um and so after you've gotten attention you've you've told them what you want them to do then depending on how much support they need it's best to sort of make sure that it's going to happen so if they need a little hand on the back like come here this is how you put your foot here that's okay. They might need that that physical guidance. For kids that do, by all means, this is not a mean thing. We're not trying to grab them and throw them on. Um, but a little bit of guidance, like this is how you do it. When 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 someone says put your foot in the stirrup, this is what it looks like. It's actually helping them get there. So it's a lot. It it's less pressure on them to be like, well, which foot and which stirrup and are you? Is it this horse? You know, there's there's lots of maybes. So if you can guide them to the spot where they're going great then there's a lot less guesswork for them and i like that and that's then, kind of a sorry the third step because the for me as a therapist too and just thinking about like shaping behaviors and even teaching new skills it's like so you tell them what you want well you know give them a second to maybe figure that out and then say okay well here this is you know and help them be successful in that so that they you know is it is a learning experience as well and i think that building that into step a uh, step three i really like absolutely yeah all of this is to make it so they're successful mm -hmm. we um it, it's no fun for anyone for the, the the person who's being asked or the person who's having you know who's who's helping them it's no fun when the when the ask is not successful when they're like i don't know how to do that or and it's like oh no that's not how you do it and then there's a there's a it kind of falls apart but if you can move right over to that guidance however much is needed and if it's none if it's if it's a if it's a point then that's all you need you don't need to physically guide them great then just use the point if they do need that extra little bit of help by all means we're, we're helping them out mm -hmm. um and then the last one step four always have to tie it off with positivity so give that praise uh even if you took their foot and you put it in the stirrup and they didn't actually, you know, didn't seem to do anything. They got it right. Even though you were the one who was helping them along, they got it right. And you need to let them know, that's what I mean. When I say, put your foot here, 
That's literally what I mean. You did it. That you got your foot there. Good mm-hmm. job. And we want to make sure that it's all whenever there's a quote unquote command or, or asking them to do something or telling them to do something, it's always tied off with positivity. Um, and it just it it doesn't feel good when it's not. And it really doesn't com- give that full communication of you got it right. This is what I meant until there's that phrase and that positivity at the end. And I know for us um, as, as instructors, I mean, therapists too, but always working on that specific praise too, because I think sometimes hearing, you know, oh, you, you know, if I say pick up your reins and you help them pick up their reins or whatever, and they, they get it and you're just like, good job. And you just say good job over and over and over. I mean, it, it, for, for adults or for, you know, typically functioning, you could assume that that's what you meant by that. But for us, I mean, I think it's really important to be in the habit of specific praise, like, yes, you picked up your reins, good job, or good job picking up your reins. Um, and sometimes I'll even praise, and I guess I don't how you feel about this, Darren, but um, sometimes I'll even praise if if they didn't quite get it, but they worked hard at it. So like, if I said, pick up your reins, and they really had a hard time with it, but they stuck with me and they worked on it, I'll say, you're working, good job working so hard, you're working so hard, Here's how here's how you do it, or something like that. Um, I think adding layering in that positivity where it's like, I see you working hard, you're, you know, keep stick with me, I think is something that is, is good too. Oh, hundred percent. Um, actually there's, there's a, a decent amount of research that shows that, um, praising effort is one of the best things that, that you can do. And as far as like changing behavior, so you're absolutely right. Even if they weren't successful praise the effort that they put into it um and you know this this is not necessarily for this setting but for things like homework and stuff is where they've done this research they've actually shown people that praise kids effort for doing their homework ended up better off than the kids who are a good job for completing your homework it actually was better to praise the effort that they put in rather than the completion of the task so you're absolutely 100 percent right Praise how much work that they're doing. Um, so effort and things like listening. So if they if they made an attempt, they listened, right? And we want them to know what good listeners they are. They tried. Right. They they put in the effort. They listened to what you did, even if it wasn't successful. They absolutely deserve to hear what a good job they did. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. So another thing, and as far as visuals go, we've talked about a first then visual. Um, people can also look into uh, making visual schedules. So it's not just a one and then the next, it actually is a full sequence of the things that they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And and so if, if, if people just wanna go to their favorite search engine and just put in like a visual schedule and then you put the name of what you want the schedule to look like, it's out there. So people have People have made it. Mm-hmm. Um, a note about visuals, they take practice. So especially a visual schedule, it's not some, I, I always say if it's just on the wall and there's no attention paid to it, or we just kind of expect the kid to understand it, it just becomes decor. Mm-hmm. So they, they do take time. They do take multiple sessions where you're going through, okay, here are the four, five, don't, don't, definitely don't start with more than just a few, like starting with with three might be a good idea. Um, so if you have like a 15 point schedule, probably not going to happen. Um, but 
practicing it. So over time, okay, remember we're doing this, then this, then this. Here we go. We're doing this now. Here it is. It's happened. Great. We did it. And now we're going on to this and showing the schedule again. You see, we're doing this now, whatever the next step is. You do it. All right, we got done with it. And now we're doing the third thing. You see how we did that? And once the person begins to see, oh, we did exactly what was on that that paper right there. Like we did that and then that and then that. Oh, there's that nice sequence. There's mm -hmm. the boom, boom, boom. Um, it just took some time to realize this paper, this visual that I'm looking at, or it doesn't have to be a paper, whatever it is, actually represents something in the real world. This is actually what I'm going to be doing. Mm -hmm. So it takes time, it takes practice, and it can be very effective once it sinks in. Yeah. When I share that first then um, board on the Facebook page, I'll also share kind of what we use for visual schedules. And because we are in kind of an interesting environment where um, we're mobile, obviously, everywhere we go, um, and our horse kind of decides what's happening occasionally. But um, we, I use like a handheld board, and then I put the pictures on there like with Velcro. Um, and then I have my sidewalker carry it along with us. So all the time they can be, you know, looking at it, referring back to it. Um, and it's it's kind of mobile with us, but um, the sidewalker can hold it so that the participant doesn't have to worry about it. Um, and I like to give my participants a little bit of autonomy in that too. Like, oh, yep, we just did, you know, we just put the rings on the ring tree and they can take, you know, take the picture off and put it on all done or get rid of it or put it in your pocket or whatever. And then it's kind of a, a sequential thing where they're involved in it. And then for me <laughs> as an instructor, I remember to use it. Right. So it's like I that helps us kind of referring back to it is that we, it needs that interaction and um, kind of that attention to it. And that seems to help us. Wonderful. Um, so I will share that on there. Um, so I, as a kind of related to schedules and some of this um, structure, lots of structure and sequencing, how do you feel about about building in some of that flexible thinking and bringing some of the illogicalness um, without going too far, obviously, but can you talk a little bit about how that flexible thinking might play in? You mean like helping the person who wants things to be very logical, very inflexible, sort of helping them get through those difficult times mm -hmm. um, or when things aren't quite the way that they'd prefer them? Because things uh, are not going to go right occasionally, right? So how do we help them um, to get through that? Right. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. The, our, our world is not, like I said before, it's it's not nearly as logical as as would be nice if it was. Um, <laughs> so when that's happening, um, when there's something unstructured or something has come up that wasn't expected, and I was like, well, hang on a second. No, I told you we were going to do that first, but actually we can't do that. Ooh, I just cut off a good thing. Don't you wish you knew what Dr. Darren Olson was going to say next? Tune into part two next week to hear his awesome advice on how to handle when things don't go right, including managing meltdowns and how to use different types of motivation to encourage our participants to try the hard stuff. Put a reminder on your calendar because you're going to want to hear the rest of this next week. Thanks for listening to another episode. Until the next one launches, stay connected to our community by joining the Not Just a Pony Ride Facebook group. There, we share exclusive educational content, answer your questions, and review new and exciting developments for the EAS community. 
Don't forget, if you have suggestions for future episode topics or a lead on a great guest that you think our audience would enjoy, click on the link in the show notes or visit us at hetrauniversity.org. This podcast is presented by Hetra University, an educational arm of the Heartland Equine Therapeutic Writing Academy. Hetra University's mission is to provide high-quality educational offerings to our participants and the EAS community. If you'd like to help us work toward our mission, you can make a donation by visiting us online at hetra.org. Again, I can't thank you all enough for helping Hetra change lives one stride at a time.